Hey, welcome to Aspiring Latinx, a podcast dedicated to highlighting and uplifting our Latinx community by tackling topics that affect us all. Today, we'll be talking about mental health and grief with Vivian Nunez, a writer, mental health advocate, and founder of Too Damn Young, a platform and community for teens and young adults who are grieving. So we're happy to have you. Um, if you want to give us a little background into what you do and what Too Damn Young is, I will give you the floor. Awesome. Um, so my name is Vivian Nunez. I'm a writer and a content creator based out of New York City. I focus specifically on mental health and grief. Um, a lot of that intersection happened kind of naturally. I had uh, my own personal experiences with loss and that really defined for me at least what was going to happen next in my career, like how I was going to cope with the losses in my own life and use that as a platform to kind of invite other people in and not feel so alone. And so a lot of what that's looked like has looked like creating a website that's geared specifically towards young adults who are grieving, com, and then using my own Instagram as a kind of platform to invite in a conversation around mental health. And I know... A lot of it you just said was steered off of what your own experience was. Mm-hmm. And was this something that you felt like you needed while you were going through like your own grief and like, or why did you think this was like needed or important for others to also have? That's an awesome question. So it's exactly that. I realized that with my own grief, it felt so lonely particularly as a young adult. So I lost my mom when I was 10 years old. And then I lost my grandma who raised me the rest of the way when I was 21. And seeing the juxtaposition between those two grief experiences made me realize that kids in a lot of ways were way more allowed to grieve versus adults. And so as a young adult, as a college student, I didn't feel like I had that permission. And I wanted to create a space where I gave myself that permission and then also kind of let others see that I did that as well as a way to hopefully make them feel maybe less like they had to force themselves into situations that they didn't want or that they felt pressured into in terms of coping just so that they could quote unquote move past it. Mm -hmm. How would you say the passing of two important people in your life transitioned your thought process on death and how you deal with such a great loss? You know, I think losing my mom was the first introduction I had to mortality at a very young age, and it totally shifted and just it completely transformed how I saw life, even in ways that I didn't realize until I was an adult, an adult looking back, right? I think that at the time I was just trying to cope and I was trying to navigate, but I realized how choppy my navigation was during that time. <laughs> Yeah, And then when I lost my grandmother, a huge part of it was actually just figuring out how to make life, like how to do life without having to take care of someone else, which is what I had spent so long doing. And the more that I was invited into that process and of actually trying my best to just live my life, um, I realized that those two losses were without a doubt, the reasons why I chose my career and I pursued everything I do and I write, it was because I it inspired me to really get in touch with myself and what I was feeling. But it's hard, right? Because those were my two 
most important people in my life. And, yeah. you know, Mother's Day just passed by the time we're recording this. And it was really rough to kind of remember all the things that I'm they're missing out on as I continue to grow up. Yeah, I can relate to um, your story with losing your grandma. Um, I had a special relationship with my sister's grandma. I mean, with mm -hmm. my, my grandma's sister, sorry. And they were always together and I was always with them. So, so to see such a strong bond that they had mm -hmm. um, was beautiful. So when she passed away, I was also 10 years old and seeing my grandma grieve so heavily made me realize the concept of of death and mm -hmm. and it planted the seed in my head that you know one day we all we we are all gonna pass on um and at that moment the concept of time really triggered me mm -hmm. um and how much time I had left along with my loved ones as well and that became really relevant and ever since then even to this day I always track t my time and constantly feeling like I'm running out of it Mm -hmm. um, and being that in this era with COVID and we have quote, all this free time, um, social media telling you, you need to improve yourself. You need to make yourself better when we come mm -hmm. out of this. It's it's more overwhelming than it is uplifting and encouraging. A thousand percent. And I think I, I really love what you say about your perception of time and how that shifted after um, your grandmother's sister passed away because it was the same situation with me I think that when I lost my grandmother specifically my my concept of time really shifted and feeling like I was running out of it and like I had to live so much life or that I would only get one chance to do a thing because who knows if tomorrow existed yeah felt so over overwhelming it's a different concept I know like a lot of people are always like YOLO like as this like empowering thing, but it's actually quite scary when you face mortality to think that you really only get one life and that this may be your only chance at it. It can feel like you freeze in space and in time. One of the things that's helped me when coping with that perception is just reminding myself that I do get time, that I won't hopefully die anytime soon. Um, and that that I can breathe because I think that that's so much of my anxiety is anchored on that as well and how do I actually let myself and give myself the permission to just breathe yeah and I think that's something that I also struggle with um giving myself that opportunity to just like think through things before acting and it's okay to mm -hmm. just take some time to process um yeah, I think that's something that I'm actively working on, but definitely it's all rooted within that whole concept of time. Yep, a thousand percent. Along with that, time, I feel like, becomes such a big thing when grieving. Mm -hmm. And I, it, a lot of it is centered around that time. Either we feel like we ourselves don't have a lot of time. We feel like we lost out on time with that person. And that was my case. Um I just lost my grandma. It's about to be a year this week. Mm -hmm. And also being someone that already deals with anxiety, her death um, triggered so much of what I already had inside of me mm -hmm. that I kind of had suppressed for so many years. And so I always had a bumpy relationship with my mother. But when my my grandmother ended up at the hospital, and even when she um passed away all of that anger that I had towards my mom came back out mm -hmm. because I felt like it was because of her that I had lost out on so much time with my grandmother right because although my my mom never told me don't go see your grandma I was young and so whatever I heard my mom speak in the background is what I believed and so I thought that my grandma didn't love me I thought that she didn't care about me 
So it wasn't until I was 15 that I was able to get close to her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I remember uh, well, like two years ago, her health got really bad. And then I, I had that fear of time. And I was like, I need to make the most of what I have. Um, and I need to ask all the questions. I need to learn everything about her. And I did that. And, and I tried to make up for all the time that I had gone by Mm -hmm. but it still didn't feel enough because I don't have memories of going to my grandma's house being close to my grandmother because I never had that and so when she passed away and my mom was grieving in her own way because she has every right to grieve but for me at that moment I was mad at her I'm like you don't get to grieve you don't get to cry because I lost out on a lot of things because of your relationship with her. Mm -hmm. And so I think that with a lot of us who are already um, experiencing anxiety, I think that going through grief re-triggers a lot of that. And it was like trying to maneuver how to um, grieve, but also how to manage all the anger and frustration that I've already had inside of me for so many years. Yeah, I think that it's it's really hard to have to um, navigate all the layers. You know, I think one of the things that I love saying is just that in a family or any with anyone, when you lose someone, the reality is that every single person loses a different relationship, even if they lose the same person, right? And I think that that comes into play a lot, especially when families have lost a loved one, because there's just so many layers to navigate and so many different tensions and excitement. Like there's just so much, but I think that in that time too, we end up learning a bunch of lessons on just how to cope and how to really grieve in our own way and give everyone else the space to grieve as well. But it is incredibly hard to just make the space even to give ourselves that permission. And at the, all the while also feeling really afraid for things. And that and that's something I had to learn because I was so angry with everyone around me, like everyone's response, everyone's way of coping, like it just bothered me. And I remember talking about this with my sister and I even brought it up to my mom and I, I told her how I was feeling. And it was exactly that. She's like, everyone is losing out of some sort of relationship, whether it was a close one or it was um, someone that they probably hadn't seen in like 20 years. Like, but it's still you're, you still lose part of the relationship that you had. And it's still going to her regardless, because that was either a loved one or your partner's loved one. And it took me a long time for me to actually see that. Yeah. And and I think many of us, we don't really, when it comes to grieving or when we lose someone like a pillar of our family, Mm -hmm. or for example, my dad um, lost his brother in September. And granted, I had a relationship with my uncle to a certain extent. I feel like he was not one of my core people. Like my dad lost Mm -hmm. a brother, my cousins lost a father. And so I feel like that grief is like something completely different. Right. Um, so I feel like many of us don't take the time to just like feel um, and we feel as if like we have to stay strong for everyone else around us. Um, and I think being from minority groups, we don't know what it is to take a break. Um, mm-hmm. We feel like we must always like keep pushing ourselves because we're all we always have to be 10 steps ahead of everyone else. Mm-hmm. Um, and for example, the day of my uncle's wake. I was, this was during a period where I was looking for full-time work and I had um, a job interview, a virtual job interview, and I Mm -hmm. still took it knowing that I, in like two hours, I had to go attend my uncle's wake. And it was like, I 
was very good at car, um, compartmentalizing my emotion so like Mm -hmm. part of me was like okay you have to get this done because at the end of the day like life moves on but then the other part of me was like wow like I'm literally going to attend a funeral and this was my first funeral since I was young you know and Mm -hmm. so it was it was interesting to like have that moment um so how do you allow yourself space to breathe and process like difficult situations like that you hit on a couple of great points. What the first one is that I think that the context in which we grew up and the culture and like all the nuances of our identities play a huge factor in whether or not we're starting in like a place of acceptance for that, right? Like whether I will accept that the idea of giving myself peace or giving myself a break really comes down to how I was raised. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't raised to take a break and to like check in with myself mentally. Mm-hmm. So it started even before that, right? It started with my need to actually remove the guilt or better yet to sidestep the guilt long enough to figure out how to actually help myself cope, right? So it was for me going to therapy that helped me have someone who was rational and telling me, well, you need this, right? It isn't just a luxury. And then trying to figure out and navigate how to best give myself the space and the energy to you know, have a trial and error session on what works and what doesn't, you know, especially when you're grieving or when you're struggling with any mental health, it really comes down to paying attention to what you are coping with, how you are dealing with it and what comes next. Similar to like what um, Emily just said, we suppress that and we don't go through the grief like we are or should be allowed to because we feel like we have to hold this front in front of others so we have to get things done and for me it was a lot of the same thing I still showed up to work after my grandma um, had passed away I was still working on a deadline for a artist showcase that was coming up I also felt like I did not have the time to grieve though because my family a lot of them don't speak English very well and so I had to be the one translating and being put in the front of of a lot of things. I had to help them plan the funeral. I was the one made the main person in contact at the hospital. Um, and then it's very draining, all of that. It's very time consuming and very draining on like mentally. But then also we have um, people who wish to have their bodies buried back in their home country. And it takes longer to hold that funeral. And so we had to go through two funerals. I was in charge of the one here because my whole family had to travel back to Mexico. And so it's a lot mentally. And I've never been to a funeral back in Mexico. And so the culture and the rituals are so different than here. We had to stay up the entire day, even the night, because as people are like working different shifts and they want to come and like pay their like condolences to the family, you have to be there. Um, We walk everywhere. We walk to the church. We walk to the cemetery. People are coming at all kinds of times. So you have to be ready to serve them food, serve them drinks. And so you don't have the time to process or grieve because you're busy going back to back on things. Um, And so I think that's something that a lot of Latinx individuals like face with all that time consumption and mental drainage on you, having to go through funerals, airlines, um, traveling back and forth, seeing family that you haven't seen in years, being introduced to new family members that you didn't even know you had. And 
it's a lot to do. Um, and one thing that I actually found out that's very common that I didn't know beforehand was that airlines, um, depending on where you are going, airlines can sometimes not send the body when they say they are going to. And we had that happen to us. So when my grandma was supposed to arrive, the um, funeral home that was supposed to go pick her up, they were like, oh, the body's not here. And so when we called the airline, they were like, oh, yeah, we forgot to place it on the um, on the plane. And so it was just like, what? How do you forget something like that? And so when we were trying to push through and I was trying to file a lawsuit, I came to find out that this is actually something that's very common um, amongst airlines that are still sending um, caskets back to home countries. And they only allow, usually they, they only allow like one plane per body. And so it's a lot of process that goes into it, process with paperwork, how we usually file paperwork here and how paperwork is filed back in Mexico. And so a lot of Latinx individuals have to go through like double the work and more when dealing with grieving and dealing with planning a funeral. And then also how younger individuals are forced to step up to take these bigger tasks, um, again, because of the language barrier that is so heavy in our community. Yeah, I, I definitely think that, that there's just so many nuances too when we have a conversation around how end of life shows up for communities of mm-hmm. color and what that actually looks like, right? And and how that grieving process is so much more complicated sometimes by, by those cultural nuances and how we can you know, best equip those who are having to deal with it, right? I think that the point is that a lot of first-generation Americans are the ones that are having to really, really sit with it and navigate the intricacies. So a lot of what I hope for for when we talk about larger conversations when it comes to, like, mental health and grief is making sure that we're moving the conversation forward in a way that ends up benefiting those who will have to really navigate it from that perspective and making sure that the resources are made accessible and that, you know, we're having conversations and and educating people to have really hard conversations in the best ways possible. Yeah. And even right now, especially since we are in the middle of pandemic with individuals that have family in different countries or individuals who are undocumented, it's making it harder to that added layer that they usually have, which is sometimes not being able to go back home to say goodbye. Because right now there's there's different constraints as to the traveling and all that stuff, right? And so what are some ways that individuals can cope with losing someone and not being able to hold a proper ceremony or not being able to go back home to pay their goodbyes? Yeah, I think right now is such an interesting time, right? Because so many of our cues, quote unquote, for grieving come from those traditional things, right? From the funerals, from being able to go somewhere physically to see someone, to comfort their families, to comfort, find comfort in your friends if you are the one who has lost someone. And so a lot of not having those physical barriers right now, like not having those physical touch points can actually really hurt the grieving process in some ways. But at the same time, I think it allows for us to reinvent what it means to grieve and to understand that we can still be grieving even if we don't have those traditional cues, right? And that in and in some ways, it actually frees us to really redefine what that would mean for us as individuals. So I, like for anyone who is losing someone right now, first off, I am so sorry because this is just an incredibly added tension time to have to experience a loss. But figuring out ways to virtually connect and find support from those who love you and who you love is probably the best way to start. Just finding ways to like 
have a video chat or have something like a Facebook page that is a memorial of the person that you've lost to really bring it together that you are not alone, even though I very much must feel like it. And then giving yourself the grace to understand that this is going to be an interesting time in our world and that your grief will undulate with it. It'll go up, it'll go down, it'll be like its own little roller coaster. And that grieving, I heard a wonderful quote the other day, people tend to see grief and death as a sort of end ceremony, right? Almost like a graduation of sorts. So like we are graduating into this grief, Mm -hmm. but the reality is it's more of a commencement Mm -hmm. for the people who remain and who survive them, right? We are actually just starting our journey with grief after we've lost someone and giving ourselves the permission to frame it up that way then allows for like when it shows up in a year, three years or seven years to still feel like we are entitled to experience those feelings no matter how they show up yeah i love that since we are in an era where like in a time that we're facing a lot of isolation and loss all around Mm -hmm. how are you managing your mental health and making sure that it is at the center of your day currently talk about roller coasters right (laughs) like i think it goes up and down um but i think that the thing that has been the most helpful for me is giving myself that permission to allow it to go up and down And to allow the thing that helped me like three weeks ago to not be the thing that has to help me today. Mm -hmm. Because maybe it's different, right? The circumstances are different, are different. The way I feel about it are different. So the more that I can just stay present, the more I can figure out what's actually actively going to help me right now. So right now, a lot of that has been going on walks as much as I can get myself out of the house for. Um, Right now, you know, cooking was something that was really bringing me a lot of pleasure earlier on. And it still somewhat is, but I'm also much more tired now than I was at the beginning of this. Yeah. (laughs) And so it's maybe less present, but I'm finding more joy in reading right now and finding the energy to do that. I'm also playing a lot of Animal Crossing (laughs) and trying to be really distract myself from it sometimes. I think not great at giving myself breaks from work. So doing something that is actually very outside of work is like the thing that is the most helpful for sure. No, I love that. I think for me, I can uh, agree to that. I've had like moments where all I want to do is like binge watch TV. And then mm-hmm. now I'm at the state where I don't really want to watch TV. I kind of want to do things that are more creative. And so I think it really is a roller coaster. Um, oh my gosh, a thousand percent. My boyfriend was actually really funny. He was like, I think you've moved on from like the banana bread phrase oh, to, some, to the, um, I'm currently on like the, I bought some paints and I'm going to paint like my plant, yeah. pot, like my <laughs> terracottas this weekend. And I was like, I guess I've arrived at a new stage of this. Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting, like just how much we crave for something to be different. So we keep on searching for things. So like for me, apparently it's painting, but I think everyone is just trying to find ways to cope and feel good, even though everything feels so same mm-hmm. and so heavy right now. Yeah, definitely. Since we're all like locked up at home, I feel mm-hmm. like depression and anxiety is spiking up across the board, even with people mm-hmm. who haven't necessarily dealt with anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. Do you have any tips on opening up that dialogue um, to family members? In many cases, um, there is, I feel there's a lot of learning, unlearning and teaching that comes into play, mm-hmm. um, which can be overwhelming from the person who is struggling. Um, do you have, yeah, so do you have like any ways on how to teach people or like tips on how to open up that conversation? Yeah, of course. It's really funny. I actually have an article I'm working on that is basically on just this as well as like a video I'm putting out on IG. Cool. So I've been putting out some content every day 
this month for Mental Health Awareness Month, and that's such an important conversation. Yeah, I love how do that. I actually? I that's such a good idea. Like I haven't seen oh, anyone do that yet. <laughs> um, like how do you actually open up that conversation? And like you know, I just posted one today about me and my boyfriend and how we have some of that conversation and what it looks like. But I think even just how to answer some of those questions for your family and also how to not get upset when their answers are very, very not what you were expecting or their questions are so sometimes not what you want to answer or not or or belittle your process. You know, I think it's really important to have boundaries first and foremost and to understand your expectations to go in with like eyes wide open on what this will actually look like and how do you and what do you expect from the situation yeah. and give yourself a cushion so that if you have a great reaction, that's amazing. But if you have a bad reaction so that you don't feel incredibly defeated, what are you going to do to actually make yourself feel good mm-hmm. and know that you are not wrong just because someone else responds negative to, to you and your own conversation around mental health. But I think for those who are trying to have that open dialogue is really understanding like who you are actually trying to who you were speaking to, right? Like, I think my family, I love them, but they're not the people that I want to have mental health conversations with as much yeah. because they don't validate that as an actual experience. And that is not, has nothing to do with me, right? That comes from just their own culture and their own nuances of how they were raised and in believing that like mental health just wasn't a thing. Yeah, Like it was just never a real reality for them. Right. And so I think, I don't want to be in the space of having to teach someone about that when particularly when I'm coping at my worst, right? Like when I'm at my worst right now, what I want is comfort and for someone to understand me not to have to teach. Now, if you're in a space where you are able and wanting to have someone teach and they are receptive to learning, that's a different story, right? Because then that's more of a conversation, but being very self-aware of whether or not the other person is receptive to that conversation is probably the the best thing you can do so that you make sure that you're not putting yourself in a situation that's ultimately going to hurt you. No, I like that you mentioned that because I feel when I started becoming more aware of my anxiety and my depression, it was really difficult for me to openly talk about it just because Mm -hmm. people, I feel like everyone suffers with anxiety and depression at some point at some point in their lives to um and we're all at different like levels I would say you know mm-hmm. of awareness and of of how much you struggle with it um and it took me a long time to realize that and to not be offended when someone didn't react or didn't um respond to me in the way that I thought that they should and mm-hmm. it's it's a learning curve to really realize that okay it's not them it's not me it's just our levels of understanding and emotional understanding. And so Mm -hmm. when do you think it's necessary for someone to reach out to a medical professional for anxiety? I feel like Mm -hmm. many times people don't see anxiety as an actual illness because you don't see it, right? You look perfectly normal on the outside, but inside Mm -hmm. you're going through so much. Um, And it can be extremely it can literally like stop your life. And I feel that's Mm -hmm. something that people do not realize is that it literally drains you even to even like brushing your teeth or getting out of bed can seem like such a daunting task. Yep. I, you know, I think that you kind of answered my question. (laughs) I think that it's a lot of it in terms of when you should seek more professional help Mm -hmm. is 
such a specific like person to person situation. And it's very unique to, to what you feel are your, you know, thresholds for pain and for things that you're coping with. Right. Yeah. The ultimate one across the board would be if it is having a severe impact on how you are living your life and you are not able to cope by yourself, then you should get help. But at the same time, you know, there are people who may feel a little bit of anxiety or who may, you know, on the range from there to like feeling paralyzed, but they may see that as like, this is enough for me to see someone. So, and that's okay, right? It's okay. As long as you figure out what the best way to help yourself actually is. And what are the thresholds that you're not willing to no longer go on by yourself? And what does that look like? Right? Yep. I think that there's, there's so much leeway on what that actually means. But I would say that for anyone who is searching for help right now, there are amazing organizations that are looking to be that bridge for you, especially as you navigate around or figure out what are the best things. So like Talkspace is an awesome virtual therapist. Um, you have crisis text line that is text-based and giving you access to a counselor that can help you, especially if right now you are suicidal or if any way, shape, or form you are triggered. There is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to write love on our arms. So many amazing organizations that are at the ready to make sure that you don't feel alone in whatever you're coping with. Perfect. Yeah, I, I like the fact that you um, listed all those resources. I think it's good for people to have those on standby just in case. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel that um, in many cases, people tend not to seek help or not to open up um, due to being called dramatic or um, people kind of just like bypassing them. So I think giving people the opportunity to reach out on their own whenever they feel ready is extremely important. So I thank you for everything that you do in the mental health space. I'm so happy that you created a platform like Too Damn Young. I think that um, when it comes to mental health and grief, it's something that at some point everyone's going to come across at some point in their lives. And so I think you normalizing that conversation is amazing and I honestly couldn't thank you enough for it because I wish I had it when I was going through all my stuff (laughs) oh my goodness thank you so much and this conversation has been so awesome and just being able to have an open convo on just what it even looks like to be to struggle with your mental health and grief and the resources and pointing places that we can actually get help. Yep. That's how we end up closing the gap on that conversation and making sure that, you know, more people understand that they can get help and that doesn't have definitely. to be taboo. Especially yep, it because it has such a big stigma in our community um, to definitely let individuals know, like, and pay to reach out whenever you feel like you are ready to do so and take that step forward. A hundred percent. Again, thank you so much, Vivian. Um, Can you please share where people can find you, follow you on Instagram and see all the good stuff that you're up to? Yeah, of course. So I am at at Viv Nunez on Instagram and on Twitter, um, vivnunez.com for all my writing and tudamyoung.com for anything young adult grief related. Thank you. Thank you again so, so much. Thank you. This is awesome, ladies. To our audience, if you have any questions, feedback, or would like us to expand on any of the points we've touched on today, please let us know and we'll be more than happy to answer those for you via email or through our Instagram page. In the meantime, please make sure to review and subscribe to our website at aspiringlatinx.com to stay up to date with editorials and any other information we may have. Bye!